context for where we are right now is in um, what's just happened. Um, shortly before the cross, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was there sort of knowing what's going to happen, and he's praying. And we know that we've heard the story again, right? He has, the, so intense is his anticipation. Anticipation is a word that we use in a different way usually. His anticipation. He knows what's coming so intense that he's sweating blood. That it's, the body is adjusting at such a deep, deep level. For me, when I anticipate, when I stress, my body changes and my stomach really tightens up. And it can make me feel sick and it can adjust that. This is so far beyond that. Um, that the body has actually changed the representation of what it's supposed to do, and physically he's bursting blood vessels, and it's, it's leaking out of him. Um, it's worse even in the imagination stage than we can imagine, and probably worse than he imagined. Knowing what was going to come a long time in advance, he probably didn't expect it to be as intense or as severe as it was. Um, as the time goes by, the day, this is Thursday that we're talking about, the Roman soldiers come, they take him away, his friend betrays him, and he's beaten. And then um, he goes to court, and they go to these trials, and they come out, false charges and stuff, but what they come out with is, you know what, let's scourge him, let's whip him anyways. And so they whip him badly, they, and then they, they beat him some more, and beating would be physically striking and not whipping, which is the other thing. They mock him, they spat on him, um, and, and all this time he's sitting there understanding fully in his mind this is the creation abusing their creator. It's not just that they're picking on me. There's something so much larger in that. There's a crown of sharp thorns and they're, they're pushed down into his brow. Not onto his brow, but into his brow so that, so that blood streams down his face. You can think of all those spots where there's um, piercing. We know how badly our, our head bleeds anyways. That coming down into your eyes, you can see it, you can taste it, you know what's going on there. Um, his face is badly bruised because he's been hit so many times. The soldiers then took long stakes and they drove them through his wrists and through his ankles and they suspended him midair on a cross for everyone to see. And as man did his worst... God was at his best. That's when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Can you play that thing that I forgot again? We remember that he prayed, Father, forgive them. We remember that last week he said he was thirsty, which was representation of his humanity. It was fulfilling prophecy from uh, Psalm 22. Um, it, was a, it was a big moment, not just a word that was said. And we're going to read right now from John 19, 28 to 30. I'd like you to read with me because we should put it up right here. So um, go back because it starts at 28. Thank you. Um, so if we could read this together. 
later knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled Jesus said I am thirsty keep coming a jar of wine vinegar was there so they soaked a sponge in it put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus's lips when he had received the drink Jesus said it is finished with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit it's finished three words that go by really fast but you gotta you gotta think of both sides of what's on there it's the after that immediately he, he expires he gives up his spirit he's done but at that same time you gotta you gotta think that there's that moment when in his mind exhausted and, and broken that he's also thinking God it's done. We did it. It's finished. Everything that we planned, everything that you sent me to do, God, it's done. He did what God had sent him to do. He had completed everything that was there. And the words that um, are represented by it is finished comes from, oddly enough, a Greek word. And the Greek word is teleste, which means to end. It means to complete or to discharge a debt. Jesus said to Teleste, I did it. I paid the debt. I finished it. I discharged it. I did precisely what you sent me to do. One little word, so much meaning. There's three different ways that you can use this word. And so when you translate, you always have to take these things into consideration. Coming back to the English, we just get it is finished. Right? But what that means is different. When a servant returns to his master and says, Tetelestai, Tetelestai, I finished. I finished what you sent me to do. There's nothing left for me to do. I'm done. Everything you asked me to do, complete. Could be used by a merchant um, declaring that the debt is paid in full. You owe me nothing. The debt is cleared. It's totally paid. We're good. It can be when a priest examines a lamb for sacrifice. And the, and the priest says, the telestai. It's perfect. The lamb has no blemish at all. It's perfect. Jesus said on the cross before God to telestai. I did it. In that moment, he did all three of those things. All of those meanings happened in it is finished. All of those things were accomplished at that time. Jesus said it on the cross before God to telestai. History has just been changed. Your mission, your work, God, it's done. What, did, what happened in that time? When he said it's finished, what is it? Right? It, it makes a fairly big difference when you're looking at this. Here's just a few of the prophecies. We talked about when he was thirsty, the prophecies that he fulfilled. Here are the prophecies, just some of them, out of the literally hundreds that he fulfilled, hundreds of years sometimes before him. These things were uttered. These are the things that he was fulfilling. Amos prophesied that darkness will befall the land, and it was fulfilled. Isaiah said Jesus would one day be rejected, and he was. Psalms said he would be betrayed. Isaiah also said he would be beaten. He was. Spit upon. He was. Wounded and bruised for our transgressions. He was. Psalms said that he would be mocked, and he was. Zechariah said that he would be forsaken by his friends. And he was. Isaiah said he would pray for his persecutors. 
And he did. And he would be crucified by thieves. And he was. Some said that they would cast lots for his clothing. And they did. It also said none of his bones would be broken. And they weren't. It also said he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did. It was prophesied that he would be pierced. And he was. It was also prophesied that they would give him vinegar to drink. And he said, I am thirsty. And they did. It is finished. All of those prophecies and many more finished, completed, manifested in Jesus. What else was finished? Satan's plan had been thwarted. From the day Jesus was born, Satan had done absolutely everything he could do to take Jesus off the track to the cross. But Jesus finished it. He completed what God sent him to do. The sacrifice was perfect. The debt had been paid in full. Sin lost its sting. And the power of death was lost for those who were in Christ. Jesus looked up to his father and said, I finished what you sent me to do. Forgiveness is possible. The penalty has been paid. Has been paid. Shame can be removed. Hope has been restored. Right relationship with God might now be experienced. My sin forever has been forgiven. My life can have value and purpose. It is finished. These are things that happened at that moment. The news for all of us is that Jesus finished the work. That's what we call the good news. The gospel. This is what happened for us. The not so good news is that even though he finished it, you haven't. As long as you were alive, you haven't finished what you were called to do. You have unfinished business. There's more that God wants you to do. There's more that he is calling for you to do in you, the change in you, but through you as well. We all have unfinished business. Listen to this from Revelation chapter 3. Let this scripture sink into your spirit. See if you can hear yourself in here. Not as condemnation, but as call. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive. But you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Are you the personification of that passage? Do you have a reputation for being alive? People know who you are. They know what you say. But inside, your character is dead. I have unfinished business. I know that I do. My unfinished business, I know for one thing, is this. It's to live the rest of my life in such a way that my outward passion, what people see, what they think about me, that outward passion for Christ would be matched by inward character that I have in Christ. It's unfinished. I'm not done yet. You have unfinished business. You need to identify what that is. What jumps into your head? What is it that you are being called to? What is it that you have been asked to do? We put lines in the, the, the handout there to write it down because when you write things down, they become more real. Not because they become right, but because it means that you're engaging in some way. What popped into your head? What is there? It might not be a huge area of hypocrisy or um, you're not supposed to develop a new planet or a new country. But what is it that you've been called to? Something that maybe God has burdened you for, created you to do, that you have not yet seen through. 
Maybe your unfinished business is forgiving someone, and that forgiveness will transform your life and theirs. Maybe your unfinished business is to get out of debt, to watch the way money is used, so that again, your life will be transformed. And those around you will see this, and they will know that there has been a a radical change. Maybe your unfinished business is to share the love of Christ with someone you love who is far away. Maybe you're just not done yet. Your unfinished business might be to deeply invest in a project where you can see God at work. Not to hear about what He did somewhere else, but to see what He did in your midst. Maybe you are called to stop living so safely and start risking for God. Jesus finished well. Let's be honest. We live in a culture where people start many, many things. And we finish few So how do we, like Christ, finish well when we also know that few of us finish anything at all? We start, I think, by making a commitment. We are going to make that commitment. And you say, you know what? I already did. That's why I'm here, right? Jesus is part of my life, and and that's a commitment that I already made. I've done that. I think as 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 we live things out, we got a pretty skewed view of what commitment really looks like. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 8, 11, he said, Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. See, I believe in our culture, commitment is defined merely by eager willingness. My commitment is, yes, I'm going to start. Yes, let's get going. But that's not commitment. It isn't commitment until you change, until you complete your eager willingness, until you finish what it was about. The transformation will be in you. In the spring of 1519, there was this guy that perhaps you've heard of. His name was Hernando, which is a name that I personally enjoy saying, Hernando Cortez. And he received permission from the governor of Spain to take 11 ships and 700 men to discover a new world. And they sailed with eager willingness to expand the territories of Spain, to increase the treasures that they would find in this new land. When they landed in a place called Veracruz, their eager willingness waned quickly. It evaporated. It disappeared because of what they discovered. This place was full of savage, violent natives who didn't want them there, and they weren't prepared for that. All of a sudden, the crew began to dissent. This is not a good idea. Those things that we said were good ideas are not good ideas anymore. Somehow the ideas changed. And they started to talk to each other. We believe that getting this new land was important. We believe that increasing churches was important. But you know what I think is important? Let's go home. That's what I think is important. We're not going to finish that thing. I'm tired of people chasing me, trying to cut off my head. I don't like the food here. I don't like the temperature. I don't like the way it feels. This is hard. I thought it would be easy. I thought things would just come together. I want to go home. Their eager willingness evaporated. When Cortez got wind of this descent, he gave an order to one of his crew, a simple order, and I think most of you know what it was. What is it? You know it and you don't want to say it, or you've never heard the story of Cortez? Burn the ships. Burn the ships is what he said. It's the same thing if you ever saw the movie Hunt for Red October. 
Captain Ramius sets out, and they're going to go, and they, they have this mission to get the sub to the other place. And to make sure that no one goes back, he wrote a letter to the admiral saying, I'm taking this sub, and I'm going to give it to the Americans. There is no going back. They're fully committed. Once that escape was gone, all of a sudden things became possible. Their commitment changed. Commitment is taking that passionate desire, that eager willingness to do something, and then drawing a line in the sand, stepping across the line, and then starting. No turning back. That's how you finish strong. Because stopping is not an option. You finish strong in your marriage when you say there's no going back. There's no change. There's no possibility. You finish strong in, in building something when you say, yes, that was an, a, a problem that we had. It didn't work right. We might have to take it apart, but we're going to continue. We're going to finish it because it's not an option to not finish it. We finish strong. No turning back. When we commit with that kind of resolve, that's exactly what Jesus did. When he became Savior, that's what he was doing. Finishing what he had started. In that Garden of Gethsemane, you can understand this is a place for second thoughts. He, he knew what's coming, right? He's bleeding sweat, sweating blood, however that works. He knew what was going to go on. And in Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, it says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. And what that means is um, this job, this task, this thing that you've asked me to do, take this from me. Don't make me drink it. Don't make me drink what's in here. Don't make me take what's already there. If there's any other way, please. Let's go back to the drawing board. Let's run the numbers. Let's see what we can do. Let's adjust the, the, the plan a little bit. But somewhere in there, Something changed. And I believe that that's the moment where Jesus stepped across his own line. The line that was drawn, he said, no going back. No turning back. And then that's when he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Radical reshaping of, of, of everything that you do when you can say those words. In that moment, it was on. If we're going to finish strong, you start with that kind of commitment, but you've got to make a commitment with great resolve. The next thing you have to do is you have to take the next step. Brilliant, right? Woo! Prophecy in that. After you take that step, you've got to take the next one. And once you've taken that step, you've got to take the next one. Why? Because the chasm between where we are, where we live today, and where God wants us to be is overwhelming. If you spend your time looking at the chasm, you will never go. It's too big. I'll never complete that. We, that's why people don't finish, right? It separates us from where God wants us to be. And the answer we hear all the time is the Christian life is too hard. There's no way you can do that. There's no way you can sustain that. Those claims that you guys make, nobody can live that out. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It separates us from the fulfillment of the vision. Because you stop thinking about what you need to do and you start thinking about all the things you can't do. I can't do that. Yeah, you can. With one step after another step. Let's look at Galatians 5.25. It says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
It's a process, right? There's motion in those words. There's movement. It's not static. Let's keep in step, which means it's ongoing. We've got to keep doing it. And in step means walking together, right? We walk together in this way. And so to be a little less divine, imagine Bill Murray. Many of you have heard uh, that, that, uh, the movie that I can't remember the name of right now. And Bill Murray has to take steps. What about Bob? What about Bob? Do you remember that? You've seen that? What does he have to do? What does he have to take? Baby steps. steps. Paranoid, delusional guy. He's in the doctor's office, and the doctor says, all he needs to do is take baby steps. And so Bill Murray goes to leave the office. He goes, baby steps to the door. Baby steps out of the office. Baby steps to the elevator. And you go, that's it. And while it was a joke there about how is he possibly going to ever, ever survive in society, is the exact truth. That's what you need to do. Just take a little step. Standing here gets me nowhere. A small step moved me. And once I've done that, what I have to do is take another one. And it's not just sort of a a random idea. You apply to something specific. Baby steps out of my addiction. Baby steps out to being a better parent. Baby steps to being a better um, spouse. Baby steps to being a better child. Baby steps to being a better employee. Baby steps to whatever it is that's difficult for you to do. Baby steps towards the promise of God. He called us to do these things. He called us to be these things. And what we struggle with is the end. We forget there's a journey, right? It's just little steps along the way. The same idea came out in a much more holy kind of way if you wanted to look at it in Psalms. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Same thing, it's baby steps. The light to your path is always how many steps? A hundred? Fifty? One? Maybe two? The light unto your path is maybe one or two steps. Baby steps. Baby steps is what it is what it is. Not enough revelation to the whole thing. Not enough revelation to see your whole path, to know how it all turns out. You can't see that far, but just enough to take one more step, one more baby step. What's your next step? Because theoretically it doesn't matter. Practically it matters. We don't talk about spirituality purely from our mind sense. We're very focused on what it means for how I'm going to live, how I will walk, how I will stay in step with the Spirit. What's your next step? What's the next thing that you need to do? What have you been putting off? God won't let you map out the rest of your life to your dead. Even if you want to do it, it's going to change. Okay? He's not going to let you do that. All you're asking for is next step. Next thing. Take a second. If you wrote something down before, write it down now. What is the next step for you? What is God putting into your mind? Do you believe the Spirit prompts you? Do you believe those things happen? Is he prompting you now? What's something that you need to do? Do you need to sit down and write that letter? Does someone need to hear that? Do you have to have a phone call today? Is it time for you to write a new resume? Is that what you need to do? Is it time to cut up your credit card? Is it time to, to, um, to go and visit someone? What's your next step? What are you called to forgive? What have you been asked to risk? What is it that you know you're supposed to do? It's sort of nudging there and you're holding back on. Are you called to serve? Where? What does it look like? How would you get started? Giving. What, is you, what are you supposed to give? 
What are you supposed to not hold on to? What do you need to release? If you're going to finish strong, you're going to have to commit with great resolve and you're going to have to take a step. It can just be small, but today you can take a small step. You don't need deep counseling to take a small step. You don't need a full plan in place to take a small step. What you need to do today is to take a small step. What does it look like for you today? This time of the year, it's so overwhelming to think about that journey that Jesus was on. When he went from the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross, Jesus was crucified on a hill, and they called it Golgotha, the place of the skull. And I've often imagined that that journey up the hill, what does that look like? How long was it? What, what would it feel like? Because you remember, he started the journey being beaten with an inch, inch of his life, barely recognizable as a human being. And then in the place, he took a step up that hill to carry your sin to the cross. And, and in that agony, with the crown of thorns being pressed into his brow, he took a step. The hope that you would one day say yes to a relationship with Christ. That you would become adopted as a child of God. Then he picked up a beam that he would be hung on. And he placed it on his beaten shoulder. And he took a step with the hope of those of us who are suffocating under the weight of bondage, under the weight of addiction, under the weight of guilt and shame. He took that with the hope that we would be set free. Then he continued, clawed his way to the place where they nails the size of railroad spikes would pierce his wrist. And then he took another step. Father, forgive them. He says, I love you. His last thoughts. It's finished. Is a way of saying, I did all this for you. The last thing he thought about was, that's what I had to get done. I had to go through all that so I could be done. And I had to be done so I could save you. His last thought, the last step that he took. It is finished. And he finished strong. For those of us who still have breath in our lungs, who have not yet finished what God has purposed us to finish, let us be encouraged by the truth of God's word, the living word of God. It says in Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In 1968, the Mexico City Olympics, John Stephen Aquare from Tanzania set out, Tanzania, I always get that wrong, set out for hopes of an Olympic gold in the 26.2 mile marathon race. Sadly for him and his country, midway through the race, he had a horrible accident. Falling to the ground, gashing his knee wide open and dislocating his knee from the joint, certainly keeping him from completing the race. Well, all the other runners left him behind, and eventually they all entered into the stadium for the final lap. Over an hour after the race had been run, and all the other runners had, been, had already completed, John Stephen Aquare shocked the world. When the stadium was almost empty, this very injured runner hobbled into the stadium, limping, 
fighting his way to the finish line. Leg wrapped with a little towel, blood gushing down. This very brave hero finished a race that virtually everyone else would have quit. That's what we've got to do. Because we have unfinished business. And God is calling us to finish the race. After the race was won, the interviewers asked John, why did you do that when no one else would have? And John said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish. God didn't send you here to start a race. He sent you here to finish it. Commit. Draw the line in the sand. Step across. Take that step. And then take the next step. How do you do it? You get to the place where you know that our life is not about us. That's what Paul said in the book of Acts, chapter 20, 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task. And for him, it was the task of testifying to the gospel of grace, to taking it to the Gentiles, to bringing it to us. Finish your race. If you're still alive, God's not through with you yet. Keep in step with the Spirit. Remember, those are baby steps. As He lights your path, stay in step with the Spirit. Stay close to God. Follow His voice. Commit. Take that next step. And one day, you can stand before Christ in heaven. And you can look Him in the eye and you can say, to Telestai, I did what you sent me to do. And He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Finish the race. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge that there is so much unfinished business. And we ask today, God, that your Holy Spirit would lead us to take the next step. That we could do everything that you call us to do. And like your son, we could finish that reason that you have sent us to this earth. God, I thank you that you are a God who speaks. You interact with us. I thank you that it's no accident even that we're here today that your Holy Spirit, God, would show us this unfinished business in our lives, that we might be able to do something about it. God, I pray that today in your presence that we would uh, make a commitment to do what you put before us. God, to step across that line called commitment. No more half in, half out. Then God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would show us that next step, that little baby step that we need to do to stay in step with your Spirit. Your word, God, may it continue to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And God, we would ask that we would follow you step by step until we finish all that you have called us to do. All that you have called us to be. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. But that's not the end for Jesus. And that's not the end for us. The story goes on to resurrection.